Happy New Year 2021. Welcome to Noble Warrior. My name is CK Lin. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about their hero's journey and share the tactical advice to empower you to go out and create a life of purpose, freedom, fulfillment, and meaning. I'm really excited to have my guest today. He is the CEO of CyberNation Central. He is a world-class VIP cybersecurity expert, and he's very passionate about personal development and sharing everything that he's known to other entrepreneurs so they too can do the same. In this interview, we talked about a number of things. First, why organizational VIPs should care about cybersecurity. If you are a board member, if you are a founder, if you are an executive member, pay attention to this. Secondly, we talked about the importance of having a daily rhythm to allow you to tap into who you really are before the world disrupts you to change otherwise. We talked about how he sets goals. Now for 2021, as you start the year, this is an area that you should think about. How do you get more done while maintaining grounded and centered about what you really want? We talked about making decisions from the head and from the heart and for our intuition, and which one takes highest precedence. We talked about how he picks his teachers, mentors, coaches that allows him to master multiple domains at a young age. We talked about how to concentrate most of the effort on 20% of the skills that will achieve 80% of the results you want. We talked about one of the most difficult things is how to audit the mind how to audit what serves you or what doesn't serve you inside your mind. This is something that the highest level performers all need to know. We talked about how to identify your blind spots in a systematic way, such that you can really go out and make the kind of impact, make the kind of contribution, make the kind of service that you want with the people that you serve. So enjoy this interview with Andre Sunarski. Why should entrepreneurs and not just celebrities or high net worth individuals care about cybersecurity? This harkens to our larger question of cybersecurity in general in our society. Let's start with the fact that we as a world are going digital and everybody on this call probably knows this better than most. And with digitalization comes the need to have that digitalization be properly secured. Otherwise, we are building houses without doors and windows allowing the growing cybercrime market to capitalize uh, on that insecurity. And so we'd like to achieve security by design. That's not always uh, possible. And so paying attention to cybersecurity becomes increasingly important as we create digital crown jewels, as they're called in cyberspace. What is that? It, a digital crown jewel can be your reputation, which can be tarnished online. It can be your financial wealth, which can be ransomed and held ransom until and unless you pay hackers the ransom. It can be a host of issues at the level of your organization. And so that means your organizational networks. It can be cyber insecurity at the level of your employees. And very specifically to my focus, it can be at the level of the organizational VIPs who are employees, but as the organizational VIPs, be it CEOs, board directors, entrepreneur founders, politicians, 
journalists, etc., any leaders that are facing a higher threat landscape by the design of who they are and what roles they hold, those particular individuals need to pay even more attention to their cybersecurity because the rising cyber criminal market is specifically targeting them. And the issue gets uh, even more complicated because uh, you're obviously talking about uh, the organizational VIP, not just as a professional, but also as a private citizen in their personal life and their family, all of which are being exploited by hackers to target the organization and your organization's existence in some cases, and at the very least hurting you reputationally or financially. So pause for a second. You'll get a long answer. Yeah, I know. This is your jam, so I know that you can probably go on for, for a long time. But, yes. but some key terms that was really intriguing for me, a cybersecurity market, reputation, wealth, organizational mm -hmm. net worth, all of these are conceptually I get. Can you give us some examples? Because in my mind, let's say if I'm an ordinary citizen, mm -hmm. or really even a lot of the great guests that I've speaking to, uh, that I've spoken to, they really don't think of themselves as an important person. They're very humble human beings. So from that point of view, they may think, hey, I'm an ordinary citizen. Really, when you know, I'm not a celebrity, what kind of reputation am I jeopardizing here? What kind of wealth am I really jeopardizing here? And how is my organizational net worth going to be impacted by cybersecurity? Because right now, it doesn't quite connect the dots. Can you give us some concrete me, yeah. we can really understand what you're talking about here. So the biggest question you have to ask yourself is, what are the digital crown jewels in my life that if a hacker got into would really piss me off or really hurt me? And for everybody, it's going to be very different. So for example, in our VIP cybersecurity blueprint, we walk you through very specifically questions that allow you to distill what exactly are those digital crown jewels in your life. So let's say you're a founder of a startup. Mm. If you have any IP whatsoever, mm. I promise you hackers are going to try and get to it. Why? Because selling your IP on the, on the black market uh, can be very lucrative, especially if you're a startup founder. And mm. so part of our clientele indeed is more successful startup founders because they've got something to protect from hackers. Mm -hmm. That gets exacerbated by the fact that most startups, case in point, your question, don't realize that they have something to protect. Mm -hmm. And so that, combined with the fact that their budgets are most likely too low to have a proper cybersecure uh, cyber uh, plan in place, their cybersecurity knowledge is often not advanced enough to go up against hackers. Mm -hmm. and or their cybersecurity policies are not high quality enough to protect their employees and their networks against hackers. And so they really are a sitting prey for hackers, if that answers your question. And to, to perhaps define the VIP component a little bit more, we're not talking here about your ordinary definition of a VIP we're strictly focusing on organizational VIPs. So think ah, about that. Okay. an organizational VIP. What's your board director, mm -hmm. founder? It's your C-suite, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a private sector organization, if you're non-government, 
then you've got the same sort of uh, hierarchy, et cetera, et cetera. And so you've got to ask yourself the question of what are my digital crown jewels? Is it IP? Is it my reputation as a founder? Because if you're the founder, most of the time, if your reputation gets tarnished, your startup is out of business potentially. So pause for a second. When you say reputation gets tarnished, what do you mean by that? Does that mean that, let's say, someone dig up someone's porn watching habits? Like, what exactly are they really tarnishing, really? Hmm. Now you're getting into a, another topic that's uh, huge these days that we deal with all the time, which is disinformation. Mm -hmm. So remember back to the Hillary Clinton campaign. In mm -hmm. Hillary Clinton had stuff on her personal servers, mm -hmm. information that belonged to the State Department. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Russia and other hackers got into her personal servers, obtained. Mm -hmm some fairly innocent, some slightly not information, mm -hmm. but all of mm -hmm. it was fairly plain vanilla. Mm -hmm. Added mm -hmm. enough disinformation to it, mm -hmm. really smear her. I see. The integrity of her personal behavior, digital behavior, shall we say. And what did the constituents do? All of a sudden, you've got constituents that are questioning is she really the person that I wanted to vote for? Mm. Maybe not. Same goes for founders, especially mm. founders in startups. And I would, as, a, as an investor into startups myself, mm. as a director of startups myself, mm. I always look at what life cycle stage is this startup at? Is it, mm. is it seed, series A, series B, et cetera? In other words, at what point does the founder no longer become the longevity of the company? If they I think the, does the founder no longer become the, the dependencies? Correct. I see. If the founder no longer is there, will this company survive? Mm -hmm. Until that answer is yes, the company will survive, the founder and the company are both tied to each other and each other's well-being. And so what that therefore means to our hackers, if I go after the reputation of the founder by accessing their cloud, let's say, illegally, of course, obtaining mm. some innocent information, adding some disinformation to it, and posting it in front of their shareholders, in front of their board, so that they think there is wrongdoing of some sort. And I see. I so attacking their character slash reputation. Yeah, I see. Got right. it. And unfortunately, in disinformation, once the disinformation is out there and you're not prepared for it, nine times out of 10, you lose that battle. You either get fired or whatever the case is. And mm. another staggering statistic in, in startups uh, and small businesses, in other words, we're not just talking startups here. We're talking small businesses. And when you listen to the definition of small businesses by the SBA, the Small Business Administration, 99% of companies really are small businesses, yeah. SM, small and medium enterprises. And what is it? Yeah. Think about that. If you're breached six times out of 10, you're going to be out of business within six months of the breach. That's yeah. why you should pay attention to your cybersecurity. Okay. All right. So now I'm a little bit more educated. I'm a little bit more aware. Frankly, a little bit like, holy shit. What about my own cybersecurity, right? 
So in terms of operationalize this concept, what percentage of budget would you say, oh, okay, you would probably want, it's like, in my mind, this is like insurance. Okay, so great. So then you allocate certain budget, take care of the cybersecurity. So that way you don't need to uh, concern yourself with this nightmare scenario anymore. Well, how would you make it a little bit more practical for people who are listening to this? What a uh, beautiful question. You have no idea how amazing your question actually is, CK. And here's why. It is less so a question of budget, and mm. it is so a question of insurance mm-hmm. for a couple of reasons. So even AXA, which is a major insurance provider and uh, a major cyber insurance provider as well, has come out to say that companies are starting to overuse cyber insurance. Now, Mm. let me give you a little bit of of background on this very quickly. Insurance is a Band-Aid. That's all it is. It's a Band-Aid. But it's a Band-Aid that is not sufficient in the world of cybersecurity because hackers are always going to be ahead of any regulation Mm. and any insurance. And so, yeah, you can buy and you probably should buy cyber insurance to placate a board and to make yourself feel better at night, but that's not going to protect you from hackers. So that's point one. Point two is cyber insurance is a way to recoup some of the money that you may very well lose if hackers ransom your uh, networks Mm. and the ransom uh, to give those networks back to you. Mm-hmm. However, the issue is twofold. First, you have zero assurance that hackers will give that network back to you. And so that's issue one. Issue two is the FBI has already come out very formally to say we are making ransom payments illegal. Mm. Oh, Shit, you think if you're a board member and you're a uh, CEO of a small and medium enterprise, you're thinking, wait a minute. So if I can't pay ransom and if cyber insurance doesn't really cover me fully, then what's left? Yeah. Prevention. So to your direct question of how much budget do I start with? Start with major cybersecurity awareness in your company. And I see. We have a completely free three-hour seminar that we put our CEOs and boards through. You're welcome to log on to www.vipcb, as in VIP Cybersecurity Blueprint. So vipcb.cyberfrontiers.com. And that will get you into a three-hour seminar strictly for leaders. Why? You, CK, as a founder yourself, have all the culpability in the world. A couple of reasons. First, we now are seeing uh, regulation in the United States that's trying to, if it passes, jail executives, not CTOs, not CISOs, CEOs and board members that have presided over a major breach in their company. Why? because your customers have suffered, because your shareholders have suffered. And so as a result, cybersecure culture starts at the top. And your CTO, as we explained in the seminar very uh, well, does not protect you 
100 percent 360 degrees as you would imagine i won't belabor the point here but you need to start this in your boardroom this does not start with the cto yeah i'll, I'll definitely do that i'll include that in the show notes and thanks for sharing that generous bonus to our listeners here so maybe change it up a little bit. One of the things that I really am excited to talk to you personally, Andre, is you are a really interesting guy. Okay. And how I know that right away, because if I just purely look at your LinkedIn and your CV, I'm thinking to my mind, like, who is this guy? And then, then I saw your picture and I, I was like, oh, he definitely should be in a 007 movie. <laughs> you know, born in Portland. Poland, live in Japan, China, US, dual citizenship, polyglot, speaking Polish, English, Japanese, Chinese, and Spanish. You've been a congressman, staff, investment banker, cybersecurity expert, tech founder, advisor, investor, speaker, and author. <laughs> and the way you look. So like I said, like who is this person? How, like how is he able to do it all? Probably one of the mo more surprising comments I've gotten is Oh my God, I didn't realize how nice Andre is having the background that he does. <laughs> yeah, you, that's all. You do look a little serious in your professional photos. So, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. And this is the topic that I'm assuming we'll get into as well. The juxtaposition of self actualization and personal development with our professional lives and how we need to appear in certain conversations is a very interesting topic that I personally delve into quite a bit. Cybersecurity tends to be an overly serious industry. And so I and a couple of my dear friends try to demystify it first and foremost. Second, make it extremely accessible to an average non-technical leader, which I am. I was a tech investment banker and tech entrepreneur, which doesn't mean I have a tech engineering background, not at all, quite the opposite, right? I'm a business guy, first and foremost. And you've got to have fun in life. You've got to focus on joy and developing yourself on a consistent basis. And therefore, merging those two has always been a passion of mine. Yeah. After speaking to you, not just looking at your photo, but speaking to you like, oh, this is, he's a really friendly guy. So in my mind, when I think about dealing with cyber crimes and cybersecurity, you are taking on the role of being the protector in my mind, like the knight, yes. right? So hence the seriousness and the warrior. I, I totally get that. And I'm curious to know, how are you able to not let the quote unquote darkness pull you into just being like cynical and dark yourself? Because you maintain your optimism, maintain your positivity very well. So I'm curious to know, how are you able to maintain your sovereignty, even though you work in the industry, constantly fighting cyber criminals, trying to essentially shaft people in the back? Yeah, what a, what a great question. I'll, I'll give you a bit of a joke behind it, and then I'll tell you the real answer. So I used to be a research assistant for Stephen Levitt. Mm. Now, if you don't know the name, Stephen Levitt is a professor in economics of crime and the author of Freakonomics. Mm. He was my professor when I was a young student at the University of Chicago studying economics of crime with him. So my background in this area goes 20 years now. <laughs> and he was always a jokester, right? So we, we would 
ride in the backseat of a squad car around the University of Chicago campus, observing crime in real time in, in Southside Chicago. And I, I always admired that. He was dealing, still is very much dealing with the serious issue of crime and keeping it superbly light. That said, you're asking a much deeper question, <clears throat> which is, to me, the moment you start the external, you start allowing the external world dictating the weather inside, mm. you've lost. Mm. And so the trick in life, and we're all striving for a, a level of that, that's higher where we currently are, but the trick constantly is to create a uh, rhythm in your life on a day-to-day -day basis that really allows you to tap into who you are, not what the world is either wanting you to be or is requiring you to be. It's probably how I would describe it most succinctly. Yeah, let me reiterate back to you. So you have a daily practice, protect your own sovereignty such yes. that it's not impacted by the external circumstances happening outside of your subjective reality. Is that accurate? Absolutely. Cool. So uh, what a time to talk about that right now, uh, a few days after uh, 2020 election was well, not still happening. Uh, but a lot of people are really freaked out at this moment. Can you share with us some of your personal practices as a way to protect your sovereignty in spite of whatever happened in your life? So that's my daily practice let me ask answer that in two ways i'll give you my daily practice but the most important question or the more relevant question that everybody on the call should be asking themselves is how do i figure out my daily practice mm -hmm. it's not necessarily copy somebody else mm -hmm. sure, use some of the things that they might be doing if they re resonate with you but figure out what that process is for you and the way to figure out what that process uh, was for me really had to do with looking through the pain in whatever area of my life it was happening in and finding the incongruencies in that area and asking... What do you mean by incongruency? Sorry. So I don't care whether it's something goes poorly in business for you or something goes bad in your relationship. Uh, a lot of people put band-aids over that and move on to the next relationship or the next business deal. Mm -hmm. That's the time to sit back and really look inside and ask yourself, what's gone on? What are the lessons out of that? How do I forgive, not forget myself first and foremost, right? How do I forgive myself, learn from the lessons and implement whatever changes need to happen? Take it from there. And so to give you mine, my practice has evolved over chapters of my life. Mm -hmm. right? I immigrated to the US, to New York at the age of 14, as a kid that spoke zero English. That was chapter one of figuring out who the heck am I? And then you figure out, oh my God, I'm, I'm this and this person. And then life throws you another curveball, right? And you say, oh my God, everybody's at fault. No. Nobody's at fault. You need to look inside and ask yourself, what is the universe trying to teach you? What are the lessons that you should take out of that? Again, whether it's around your purpose in life, 
whether it's around your the kind of a relationship you want to have with your significant other or with yourself, first and foremost. What is the business direction that you need to take, et cetera, et cetera. So I've gone through multiple metamorphoses and I wouldn't change it for the world, but it was because I was constantly curious and continue to be more curious. And I'm 40 years old. So the world is the oyster ahead of me still. <laughs> okay. So what are your actual practice daily? So let's see. So in each of the areas of my life, I have my daily or weekly habits. Mm. So I actually divide up my life into different areas that are important to me. First and foremost, obviously, personal and professional. And then within those, there are a couple of uh, areas within each that are important to me. So, for example, in my personal, it's the kind of a relationship that I have with myself. It's the kind of a relationship that I have with my friends, with my significant other. It's the physical routine that I have. It's the spiritual and mindset routine that I have, etc. And a lot of people laugh. I wake up at 4.30 in the morning. And the first three hours of that day, I do not exist to the world. And during those three hours, I do everything from starting my day off with incantations that are actually emanating out of Tony Robbins's Date with Destiny, where you really go into that process quite uh, deeply. And so I go into incantations around who I am, uh, what I believe, what are the goals that I want to achieve this year, today, etc. what kind of a relationship I want to have with my significant other, what kind of a relationship I want with my business, what kind of a person do I want to be in business, etc. So incantations first, followed by a 15-minute meditation. And that spans a variety of different ones, depending on the day and how I feel that morning. And that is followed by a workout. I work out six days a week to take out the guesswork of, do I work out today? Do I not work out today? I can still work out two days during the week. I didn't want to play around with it. So I just said, I'm working out six days a week, Monday through Saturday. That's that thinking taken out of the equation. And then it's my, your bathroom routine, your, your breakfast. I do breakfast every day. It's my biggest meal of the day as prescribed. And then I uh, go off to work. Throughout the day, I take either a power nap or a 10-minute or 15-minute meditation, depending on where my energy is, what am I dealing with? Is it something super heady or is it something lighter? I listen to my body throughout the day. And I listen to what's happening here. What kind of thoughts do I have? Are they negative thoughts? Are they positive thoughts? If they're negative thoughts, okay, well, that's a sign to look in and say, you're taking the negative side of the stick. How do you get yourself out of that? Because every issue in life is positive and negative. So the moment you find yourself thinking the negative side, rewind. How do I reset? Okay, is it, do I need to get myself into a place of gratitude? So I actually lied. The first thing that I do in the morning is three, three things I'm grateful for. As soon as I wake up my eyes, I don't even literally physically get out of bed until I thought about three things that I'm grateful for. And that starts with me. In other words, don't, I try not to be grateful for things external to me because those can be taken away mm. within me that I can be grateful for so that I'm not tied to anybody else or anything mm -hmm. else for my well-being.
That, that I actually haven't heard that before. Most people are grateful for external things or relationship, which are all great, by the way. But ultimately, yeah. it comes down to like those things are out of your control, ultimately. So I love that you're grateful for who you are. And even and think about it. If you're grateful for another person, start with yourself because you've manifested that person. Mm -hmm. So what are you grateful for that has allowed you to manifest that person in your life? And likewise, if you've manifested into your life somebody that's not so nice, that's your doing too. Mm -hmm. That's a painful thing for a lot of people to hear. I remember I was in a relationship with somebody that, long, long story short, didn't work out, didn't work out for the right reasons. But when you look back to that, you say, well, you manifested that. Why did you manifest that? Mm -hmm. ah, I was this kind of person. I was that kind of a person. I was exhibiting these kinds of traits and behaviors. No wonder that came to me. Mm -hmm. And if you're not uh, familiar with Abraham Hicks, look up Abraham Hicks. That will teach you everything you need to know about the law of attraction, the law of deliberate creation, and everything else around what you're manifesting into your life that can mean you're a sloppy thinker and manifester, right? So there's always room for improvement for everyone. You didn't finish your day though. So before we get into deeper questions, I want you to finish your ritual. Oh, you what, about, what about your evening rituals? Do you have a evening ritual as a way to off-ramp yourself for a beautiful eight-hour sleep or however many hours sleep that you yes. have? I've got a set schedule, 9.30 uh, p.m. to five uh, to 4.30 in the morning, I'm in bed. So I get my seven hours at the very least. An hour before bed, no electronics. I don't care what's happening around the world. I used to have a mentor in my early days as a chairman and CEO of my company in Hong Kong, whose father taught him, unless the house is on fire, my wife is divorcing me, or the bank is pulling the loan, I don't want to hear you while I'm playing tennis. <laughs> and you can use that kind of analogy in your life. What are the things that can disrupt your quiet time? Mm. I don't anything to disrupt my last hour of the day. Instead, what I do is I listen to an evening meditation or I listen to empowering messages of whatever sort I feel like is needed at that time. Mm. So perhaps this is another tool that I should mention I use quite a bit, which is I've developed a toolkit of things that I can take out of that toolkit throughout the day to use to bring me to that positive side of the issue. So whether it's meditations or power nap or listening to music or listening to, I don't care, Tony Robbins, Fearless Soul, Abraham Hicks, or anything that speaks to you around an issue that you're having so that you can pull that out at that point in the day and help yourself get over that, that threshold, so to speak. So is it more content-driven or is it more energetic, resonance-driven for you? Whatever you're trying to both. Be. It has to be both, right? Because music can get you into an energy space that's really uplifting. Specific messaging around a particular issue can completely shift your energy because it shifts your mindset, because it shifts the conversation. 
you're having with yourself. Mm. So constantly listening to what's happening here, what's, what's being messaged here, and figuring out what tool is going to get me into a better energy space is great. The other tool that is very useful is Tony Robbins taught me this, although he doesn't own that. The mood meter. The what? The mood meter. The mood right? meter. Okay. Yeah. So there are whatever, 32 moods or, or whatever it is that you can have throughout the day. Okay. Where exactly are you on the mood meter? Um, are you at the highest exaltation or mm. are you in complete and utter despair? Mm. The issue is you can't jump 15 moods. Mm. You cannot jump about one or two. So this law of attraction becomes very important because the better it gets, the better it gets, the better it gets. So pay attention to the better your life gets, the better your day gets. The, the better it gets, the more, right? On, on the positive trajectory you are. But the mm. same thing goes for the other side. The worse it gets, the worse it gets, the worse it gets, the worse it gets. And so paying attention to, are you on a down trajectory throughout the day or are you on an up trajectory becomes very important right? because your entire day can be colored by how am I waking up? Did I go to sleep with positive thoughts, with joy, with appreciation, or did I go to bed in a hurried mood? I had no time to myself. I was pissed off because the election pissed me off. I didn't center. And so I woke up with that vibration because vibration stops while you're sleeping. Whether you know it or not, that's a fact. Vibration yeah. stops while you're sleeping. And so you wake up with the same vibration that you went to sleep with. Yeah. Catching yourself immediately as soon as you wake up is critical. What's yeah. on my mind, right? How do I get myself out of that to the extent that I went to sleep with the wrong vibration? And then yeah, work so, with so there, I want to do a quick recap. Then I'll share some of the, maybe underline something that I thought was really cool. So a quick recap. Yeah. You, 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 have, you start out of your day with gratitude first thing in the morning, in incantation and meditation. In my mind, those are practices of way of being. Mm -hmm. That you get yourself in that state or way of being right away. So that way, and, and, and to me, after all these years of studying really all of this, the secret, the science of success and the art of fulfillment, I really get what they say is actually accurate. Be, do, have. It's way of being first and foremost before the mental stuff and the tactical stuff and so forth. So I really love that you're putting yourself in that position right away. And another uh, insight that I also get from, correct me if I'm wrong, is every time you do it, just like how Jerry Seinfeld doesn't break his chain of writing every one joke a day, every day, just doesn't break a chain. Every time you do it, you're reinforcing that way of being, that identity that you have. That's who you are. Yes, is that accurate? 100%. And the, one of the ways that I would describe it is a way that I learned from John Maxwell, mm -hmm. personal development uh, individual galore. Behave your way into feeling. Quite a profound statement, actually. Behave your way into feeling. What the hell does that mean? So if I'm behaving happily, even though I'm not happy, will I be happy? Yeah. Yeah. You do that often enough. You do that every day. 
you encant things that bring you joy every day around whichever areas of your life are important to you. If you want to be wealthy, I'm wealthy, I'm, I'm this, I'm that. Or if you, want to if you want happiness in your relationship, my relationship is this and that, and it's exciting and it's joyful and it's juicy and it's whatever the heck you want it to be, right? Mm -hmm. You're building your way into that feeling and you're all of a sudden starting to emanate more of that energy. Yeah. So let's actually go in on that point specifically, because one school of thought is, let's say, I want to be eight feet tall, I want to be eight feet tall, I want to be eight feet tall, as an example. And it's, I mean, I'm doing self-programming with my words, I really am working at it, I'm just not going to be eight feet tall, for example. And another school of thought is, behave your way into really experiencing it. And it's probably not one or the other. It's probably somewhere in the middle. From my point of view, I'm the student of Confucius, the middle way, the middle path. So I'm curious to know how you could authentically and viscerally experience something that's yet to come without seeing evidence, without being just mm, going through the motion and really trying to force an outcome. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Whenever I coach CEOs that I invest into, I first and foremost require them to be willing to go through a personal development program with me. If they're not, then investment is not ever a possibility. Mm. And part of the reason why is because this I picked up from Tony as well. Seven layers deep of why. Sure. By the time you get to your seventh layer of why, you're starting to get the actual reason. And usually it's an aha moment that has to do with the feeling you get. The, whatever that feeling is, the feeling you get from doing it. So you answered ego. It's never ego, right? You really delve into it. Somebody can take all the wealth from you or the relationships from you, and then you're, you're stuck with yourself. Imagine being a monk zero financial wealth, living more of a mindset, life and lifestyle, where does that joy come from is the question. And so when I answer your question for myself, to me, it's always, what is the feeling that I'm trying to get? Mm -hmm. I want to be an investment banker. Well, why? That was ego. So why was that ego there? Okay, well then I wanted to have my own company. I had it. Was I happy? Not quite, right? I didn't have the, the company had me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then you peel the layer further. If I did have the company on my terms, what, what would those terms be? And it all comes down to how do I want to feel every day? Mm -hmm. And that's what it comes down to what does it mean for me to live congruently with who I am? Also, you go deeper, or who the hell really am I, right, now in my life? Because that also changes throughout your life. What is your purpose today may very well be different from your purpose at seven years old. So it all comes back to why, why ego generally is the shallower end of that stick. When you dig deeper and you figure out this is the feeling that I want to get, in your case, you're already delivering on that to your audience, my friend. You're already empowering your audience. Right? You're bringing speakers to them. You're bringing resources to them. 
all of that you're already starting. So taking joy out of that every day, being grateful for that is a way to attract even more of that into your life. Yeah. One of the uh, metaphors that I come across recently, it really simple, it really summarized everything that I've learned in the past few decades all, all around this. If I think about who we are as a tree, there are different major branches that we care about. So in my case, I care about finances, career, relationships, romance, physicality, emotionality, mentality, yeah. and spirituality. These are major branches that I care deeply about. And then if that's the case, then for me, what is the, the next question is, what's the nutrient? So in my mind, the nutrient going through it is uh, intentionality. What's my intention or intentions? And as well as my emotionality. What's the emotion behind it? And I love that you brought up the mood meter because you could be in a shitty mood and then and not bring toxic nutrients up to the trees that you wanted to uh, manifest. Into the yeah. Let me finish real quick. And there are also top soils that may be holding the seedling down that you may not be aware of. The constructs perception, what other, what I think, what others think of me, personality, what I want you to think of me or ego, right? What I think of me in a non-productive negative way. These are holding down the vision blossoming into a mighty oak tree as an example. So everything that we have been talking about in my mind, simply said for me is how can I uh, produce the best nutrient to manifest, to actualize the fruit that I'm trying to bear, as well as reducing any kind of burden that I'll no longer need to carry anymore to free up internal resources to manifesting the world. Go ahead. Your practice fits into another practice that uh, I do, but it's not my daily practice. It's an annual and quarterly and monthly practice. And it starts with the annual practice of really going through and auditing your life mm -hmm. uh, and upgrading your life plan on an annual basis. And it's something that I picked up along the way where for every one of those branches, as you've called them, I called them categories of improvement, mm -hmm. right? In your professional, in your personal, you've got those categories of improvement. And for each of those categories of improvement, I have a fairly regimented process that I go through. What are the outcomes that I want? Why do I want to achieve them? So let's say in my physicality, right? What, what's, what are the outcomes? Why? Because without the why, none of the outcome matters. You're never gonna achieve the, the outcome without the why. And then I go through, what are the three uh, things that if I did on a consistent basis, I'm gonna get 80% of results with 20% of actions. And I actually list them out. If I did nothing else on a weekly basis than those three actions for this particular branch of my life, then I would be really happy with it. Then one of the practices you do is figure out the things that are stopping you, right? Whether emotionally or from the external world, whatever it is, that's a beautiful thing to fit into that practice of auditing your life. And then I go and <clears throat> become very specific right? 
So in order for me to achieve those outcomes and the why, what are the actual specific goals that I need to hit this year and then every quarter and within every quarter, every month, and then within every month, every week in order to actually achieve that. And I'm very regimented about it because a lot of people do their annual goals, might do their quarterly goals. I take it all the way down to the daily level. I review my goals on my way to work every day. And in my incantations, I incant those goals every day. My goals for this year, my goals for this uh, day. So figuring out for yourself, what is your life's blueprint is one of the most important exercises you can ever do. And then figure out the daily habits. And that's my last piece. What are the daily habits that I need to do in order to support myself energetically in this work? Yeah. Personally, I love it. Yeah, very regimented daily disciplines. That's my favorite approach. So let me actually ask you a question. How do you, so there's a saying in Chinese, when you're too rigid, you become brittle. When you're too flexible, then you're, you don't have a backbone, right? So again, for me, I'm a middle way guy. So somewhere in the middle, so that can be both strong as well as resilient. What we had just talked about is the structure to be, to have strength, to have that spine. So can you share with us a little bit about how you remain flexible and resilient so then you're not fixated locally, have a local maximization, rather you can, you're still open and in flow. Uh, I know that you mentioned about your evening, one hour of silence. So that's one practice. Are there other practices that allows you to be flexible and resilient and be in flow? Yeah, you listen to yourself throughout the day. It comes back to feeling. Right? A lot of people in business say, take the feeling out, focus on the tasks at hand. I don't think so. I used to do that in investment banking. I did not like myself particularly much without really listening to myself. And to me, it's all about, again, living a congruent life. So what I have described to you is a very regimented process. But that regimented process, right? life is all about yin and yang. And you've said that too, right? So on the one hand, you've got the regimented process. On the other hand, you've got the, the feminine side of you that is always going to want more flexibility and more flow, right? You have to listen to both of them throughout the day. And so in my case, part of the reason why I like to review my goals on a daily basis is because I may not particularly want to do anything during that day. But I'm making a conscious decision of doing that because my flow side is saying to me, hang on, you overly crazy structured person. Mm -hmm. I need help today, right? Yeah. So there is that daily interaction of you yourself with yourself. Yeah. And also having that structure for me on the one hand allows that true north. And then it gets juxtaposed with the other true north of as I go through the weeks and, and months, some of those uh, monthly goals will fall apart. And it's because I no longer felt that they were congruent with who I am now, today. It may have yeah. been three months ago, but it's not today. But I'm making a conscious decision of it rather than allowing life to drag me. What you just mentioned, it's, I think, is an important practice. 
I want to dive deeper there is the art of unlearning, the hmm. art of letting go. Because big one, yeah, but a huge one. Part yeah. of suffering that I've learned from the mechanics of learning Buddhist practice from Vipassana is what suffering comes from craving something that you don't yet have or averting something that you do have. So a huge part of it is letting go is one of those things, two words, easy to say, not so easy to do. So in your letting go of your goals, in your transitioning from different identities that you have, how do you practice letting go with a little bit more grace and a little bit more dignity without the drama and the suffering? Yeah. It all starts with letting go of ego. So everybody's got an ego. It can be more prevalent, less prevalent, doesn't matter. It's the yin and yang, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is that ego comes more from the drive and more from the masculine. And if you allow your ego to take over, then the flow and the feminine side gets um, shut off. And, and that's not a, a recipe for anything but disaster. And mm. so when I look at my life, I grew up as an economist, then investment banker, also congressional staffer. As you said, uh, when people look at my resume, they open their eyes. And I used to live in that resume. And letting go of that resume and allowing the learnings to be what drives me rather than the titles has been a very eye-opening experience. How do you do that, though? How do you do uh, that? You don't allow yourself to, to live in the, oh, my God, he's a Harvard guy, or, oh, my God, he's a whatever guy, or the investment banker, right? You oh, Actually, I'll give you a perfect case in point. Mm -hmm. When you walk into a conversation, you allow the conversation to flow based on the energy of the conversation, not based on the titles, not based on hierarchy, not based on I'm here because of X, Y, Z. And that can be a difficult one for some people, right? If you've been elected senator, oh shit, you've worked hard to get that title. And so a lot of people think that I should use the fact that I'm a senator to uh, throw my weight around. Mm -hmm. I used to believe that too. I don't anymore, although my ego sometimes does kick in. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, dealing with a bully, and I need to pull out my resume to whip them around a little bit. Yeah. But generally, I hate using that because it just, ugh, it just feels icky. Yeah. Uh, which brings us back to the uh, earlier part of our conversation, which is don't allow others to make you feel anything. You yourself feel how you want. You don't allow the external world to dictate how you should feel. So if you meet somebody that's cantankerous, don't take that on yourself. If you meet somebody that is cursing you out for whatever reason, they're cursing you out because of something that's happening in their life. It has nothing to do with you. Unless you believe that it does have anything to do with you. And that's a whole nother topic, right? It goes yeah. back to so oh, I, want, I want to drill in on a couple of points. Yeah. If you can share with us how you're actually being flexible with all your identities, I think that would be super helpful because what you're saying is just recognizes the ego 
hundred percent agree, but it's also not easy to do. Cause I would say it for myself in my younger days, I also used to throw all my titles within three seconds. Hey, I'm Dr. CK and blah, blah, blah. And then at, in hindsight, I was like, that was so stupid. Why do I do that? But automatically, because we play in the game of status and power and then I got to measure myself up with the, the game, right? I'm curious, so how do you let go of your egoic identities so that you can be more fluid, so they don't drive you and you use them when need be? The easiest way I would say it is you don't, you never lose your ego, right? Mm. It's there. It's, and it should be, but you drown it out with purpose. Focus on the purpose in your life and the ego will be used instead of you being used by the ego being used by you to drive your purpose. So in my case, I have decided that I want to help empower uh, leaders in the private mm -hmm. sector and public sector to mm -hmm. take control of their cybersecurity so that mm -hmm. they can build those cybersecure first cultures for their organizations and for their families and their communities. And so I wrapped every bit of who I've been to serve that purpose. And when you're using those pieces of you for a purpose it's no longer ego driving you it's ego being pulled at strategic points where it needs to be deployed to drive that purpose okay so you go into a conversation with your intention in mind hey here's my purpose you go in there also with an open arm i don't have a particular agenda to use my particular tools and then if need be, then you pull out this particular tool, the identity, the ego, whatever, to serve this purpose. Is that an accurate recap of what you just said? And take one example, uh, take one thing as an example, right? So I mentioned you never lose your ego, quite the opposite. You use your ego strategically. For me, I have a thing about bullies, right? Part of the reason probably why I'm in cybersecurity. When I see a bully hurting somebody else, I go to town, right? If that person is aware that they're being a bully and they're doing it on purpose, I leave not a dry thread. But for that to happen, it's being done strategically. It's not being done because that's who I am. Does that make sense? It does. It, at the same time that the ego expression is so seductive, once you get it going and it's another... I don't know if you know exactly what I mean. So once you get a win, the other I person do. power, for example, and then it's easy to say, to, to amp it up even more, to get that little bit of a payoff, but we don't have to, you know, go down that rabbit hole. If you don't want to, it's one of those things that I think about a lot. It's, and, and for me, you are a practitioner or what you're talking about, right? You are not only aware of these spiritual principles, but you're also practicing it and you do it well, you're effective in the multiple domains. And that's why it's so interesting. Whenever I talk to someone like that, it's in my mind, it's simply uh, simpler to be a, a monk in a mountaintop because they don't have to, they don't have all these other considerations that householders have. 
it's yeah. easy to talk to someone who is totally egoic because the person is all about power, greed, and status. It's like, okay, so that's, but it's not often when I see someone who is able to do both and do both really well. Thank you for the compliment, but we're all on a path to growth. And the first thing that I always try to do these days is never judge. I don't care whether you're uh, superbly wealthy or, or you're a homeless person, everybody's got a story. And the first thing that I try to never do is judge. Even a person that is living out of their ego, they're living out of that ego because of conditions in their life. They may or may not have been aware enough about what those conditions were and how they created them into the person that they are today, but that may or may not be their fault. That they have the upbringing that would even teach them uh, that they need to look deeper. In my case, for better or worse, I've had enough uh, lessons in my life to have to, not necessarily to have to, but to be given the opportunity to look deeper inside. And I chose to do the tougher thing and really do look inside. And what I found was something that I really wasn't pleased with. And so that allowed me to peel the layers of the onion further and further until I started learning, aha, this is where I was going. Not wrong, but in a way that's actually incongruent with who I really am. Okay, let's learn, let's shift, let's upgrade, let's upgrade, let's upgrade. That's how I came to look at it. And so I started judging people less and less because when I looked at my own journey, I realized, holy smokes, this is hard. And it is easier to live in your ego, much easier. But to have to look inside and, and then have to come out to the external world and live it every day with whether it's employees that are not even close to being uh, on a level, on a path towards awareness or dealing with individuals that are far ahead of you and you get yourself into that relationship and you realize, holy smokes, I'm not the person, that person is way ahead of me. I really need to catch up or else this is not gonna work. That kind constant realization about yourself, which comes from daily practice of looking inside and asking yourself, okay, I'm not happy about what I'm seeing. Why am I not happy about it? That why, why that seven layers deep becomes very important. So you're speaking to a fellow seeker as well. In my mind, the, the way my brain works is the more we talk about it, the more we'll put language around it, the more I can dissect and really understand the attributes of what it is I'm trying to articulate. So it's not just, oh, just be happy. Like this amorphous concept. Here are some attributes about it and this and that. Here's how I think about it so we can have an intelligent conversation. So yeah. that's what gives me fulfillment. So I was speaking to a previous guest who is a corporate shaman. Mm -hmm. and Corporate shaman, yeah. He said to me, doing what we're doing here and now being a seeker is not necessarily more conducive for a fulfilling life. He's met some people who is totally unaware, but they're just having a great life. They just, they're just being it. They don't even talk about it. They just skip all of the talking about it and just be it. So I'm curious to know, as a practitioner, why do you dissect and talk about and articulate 
and discuss things like this versus just skipping ahead to the end result of living in bliss all day, every day. Well, it's both. For all of us, it's both. Mm. It's a question of how much of a dial into one or the other you, you are. In my case, I'm a believer in past lives mm. and the lessons that you've learned in past lives. And I've done enough around that topic to be anything uh, but a believer of past lives. And so pulling out the lessons out of past lives or even your current life as a child, some of those lessons are ingrained. And so you're living them out naturally. And sometimes I do things that I'm like, how the hell did I learn to think like that or be that? And you don't gain a level of consciousness around the, the why until you do some of that homework on yourself and on your potential past lives to figure out where is this coming from? I like knowing. So that's my process. Yeah. On one hand, there are those unconscious things that you're living. But on the other hand, we've also been brought to this earth, to this to this particular experience in the universe to uh, expand on who we've been. And those lessons are the next stage. And so that naturally requires a certain level of learning. So one of the questions that get, gets asked is, why do we have the parents that we have? Yeah. Why did we choose those parents? There is a major... A uh, component of the spiritual world that believes that we choose our parents, that we choose our siblings. And so when you put that hat on, you ask yourself, why the hell would I ever choose my, my, my whoever, my sister or my brother? And yet you did. And yet you did. So why did you? What lessons did your sister or brother or parents need to teach you? Or how are they meant to shepherd you through this life? in order for you to become your highest version of yourself in this life? These are very interesting question, but questions, but again, some of it you're already living. Some of the things that I'm living, I'm not questioning. I'm just living them. And mm -hmm. people comment, oh my God, you're this or that. And I say, really? I didn't really notice. Because yeah. you're living naturally. I'm sure you've had plenty of situations like that. But yeah. others, you're constantly seeking the answer to because that's your next level of iteration. Yeah. I, I can't help it. It's the desire to learn, the desire to know, the desire to talk to others about it. It's just something that's within me. You can't quench that fire. So thanks for sharing. I, I don't worry about you. <laughs> yeah, you can't do it. You can't do it. I'm so glad that now we get to, to be able to use that fire for something for the public good. And it's um, hard, right? For entrepreneurs, it's difficult. I remember when I opened my first company, literally the company had me. There was no me. I was 80 pounds heavier. I was overeating all the time because you're entertaining all the time. You're traveling the globe all the time. I was in meetings all the time. I was on conference calls all the time. There was no me. And for me, that process was that contrast that I needed to wake the hell up and say, wait a minute, who am I? Right? I'm not share my shareholders i'm not my customers i'm not my board i'm not my investors where the hell is me and so right wherever you are at in in your journey uh the question is around the next set of levels that would bring you closer to who you want to be
and the who you want to be really comes from your intuition. And so working on your intuition, if you're not particularly strong at it, and I used to not listen to my intuition. So even figuring out that process of how to listen to your yeah, intuition. Let's actually talk about that a bit. The journey pre-intuition to cultivation to now listening or and, and or being devoted to intuition. You share with us a little bit about that journey. I think it's important for very heady people to hear from not just me, but yeah. someone else about that journey. Yeah, you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> All the degrees that I have. The yeah, I, I know. I saw. Yes, I saw. I saw. Because right? truly, right? School doesn't teach you any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm, I'm privileged enough to have graduated from two of, of the best schools, right? Wharton MBA and Harvard uh, Masters in Public Administration. And as much as I respect both of them, I tell the career management teams at both schools that we suck at teaching life. And, and part of that is the conversation that we're having together today. So intuition, how do you listen to your intuition? Me? Yeah. Yeah, uh, great question. I would say, so I'll share sort of the origin story. So before my body's role is just to carry my head. I didn't care about anything else. The whole thing was to optimize this. Yeah. And then through my own journey and seeking and exploration and also falling my face of more than a few times, mm -hmm. I realized, oh, I have four boosters on my rocket. Why am I only using one? It's, you know, it's dumb. If I ultimately, if I care to optimize my life, integrate all of them. And what were those four boosters? The body, the mind, the heart, and the spirit. Mm -hmm. Minimally on the yep. self. So the more I realize the wisdom is in the totality of the mind, the heart, and the body. And these days, how I listen to my intuition is, I think the best experience of that is, it's not even a voice, it's an inner knowing. Mm -hmm. So especially doing like a plant medicine ceremony or something like that, where it's just like, this is it. Now I'll write it down and then I can go back to look for evidence using the mind. I'm not saying to just surrender and trust whatever voice that's coming through the body or anything. It's, it's more of a just a, a inner knowing. And at the same time, I'm going to also verify it, do my research and oh, okay, that makes sense. Then move forward. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm going about it right now today. Yeah. Mine is in some respects very similar and in some different and mm -hmm. I'll, I'll share with you the process that for me has unlocked my intuition a lot more mm. and share with you how it happens on a day-to-day -day basis these days it all started with meditating more and it wasn't that all of a sudden ideas started coming to me in the middle of meditations sometimes that was the case sometimes not uh, but most of the time no but the process of meditating put me on a vibration that throughout the day allowed micro messages to come. Mm. And I still didn't listen to them. I get a hunch about something and 
my mind immediately overrode it with rationale for whatever direction I was going in uh, at that point. And then obviously <clears throat> life beats you around uh, enough and you start saying to yourself, okay, well, this route isn't particularly working, so what else? And so I, I realized I'm not really listening to my intuition very much, so how do I become better at it? And I think it was Abraham Hicks that turned me onto this idea of just follow a hunch, even if you have absolutely zero rational reason for, for needing to follow that hunch or quite the opposite, your rationale leads you in the exact opposite direction. And so even if it was something as simple as I'm walking down the street and I usually take this path, all of a sudden I have this slight inkling to ah, take this path today. And I would, right? Listening to those small hunches. and in and of themselves, a tiny little hunch like that might not mean anything. But in totality, what listening to those more and more has allowed me to do is to become more prolific at listening to my body and what my spirit is telling me without allowing this to drown it out. And so, so, question. so quick question. How do you separate neurotic thoughts, mental chatters, just things that's floating around versus deep inner knowing say what how does it make me feel mm -hmm. how does it make me feel congruent mm -hmm. with the part of a person that i want to be mm -hmm. am i is that hunch uh, either at the very least neutral or is it getting me into a positive territory of either achieving my purpose or mm -hmm. achieving joy in that moment or mm -hmm. achieving joy uh, in the day, etc., and and it can be as simple as you and I spoke about leading with ego in conversations previously, right? Mm -hmm. uh, these days, whenever I lead with ego, I immediately get this icky feeling of, oh my god, I led with my resume again. <laughs> High five there! Yes, I get it. I High five! Yeah, yeah. I love to make people feel good. I don't know. That's always been me. And I've certainly gone through my phase in my life where I didn't. To me, it was all about, I want this achievement and that achievement and this and that. Mm -hmm. And it just, at the end of the day, made you feel empty. Like mm -hmm. you were looking for yourself, but that self was just an island. And it just didn't feel, again, congruent. And so to the extent that that hunch brings you either into a place of uh, neutrality or positivity, yeah, I'll follow it. And then in totality, it uh, starts to cultivate that intuition a little bit more. What's the most, so thinking about all the random path that you have explored and enjoy and follow, what's the most counterintuitive thing that you did? Like, why the heck did I do that? But wow, <laughs> what a lesson. Cybersecurity. <laughs> <laughs> really? Never in a million years would I have thought that I'd land in cybersecurity, ever. When I was a kid, hell, when I was in college, I was the last person to update anything as far as my cybersecurity. In fact, my brother till this day laughs that he's the one that used to put computers together and he's the one that would always remind me, back up your computer or else you're going to lose everything. And I sure did. And lo and behold, I didn't learn those lessons early enough. And so the way that I started in cybersecurity is... I led a, a very successful venture out of Hong Kong. 
we garnered quite a bit of attention and we were the media darling of Asia and I was in Forbes and Tatler and Vogue and all that jazz. And as we garnered positive attention, we also garnered not so positive attention from individuals that wanted us for themselves. And when they couldn't have us for themselves, they hacked us, hacked mm. added disinformation to otherwise illegally obtained innocent information mm. and drove that disinformation to a point where the rest of the board was tired of dealing with the disinformation. And at a time when we hadn't, we didn't reach profitability yet. And so uh, revenue was not far enough to, to make the company survive without the promised investment capital from the board. And so the rest of the board outvoted me to shut the company down that was otherwise producing revenue and valued at 25 million bucks. And so that lesson threw me into the world of cybersecurity and disinformation campaign countering uh, when I would have never in a million years imagined that I would be in this uh, role. Yeah. But that's how life unfolds, right? So you get a lesson in life early on. You don't learn that lesson, comes back twofold. And then you don't learn that, comes back twofold of that until it becomes painful enough. And so unless you learn that lesson, I clearly wasn't learning my lesson in the early days. And so, again, we come back to that spiritual awakening. How am I learning from the simple lessons in life become before they become painful enough where the stakes are really high? And so this yeah. time around, I said, enough is enough. And so the confluence of everything just happened to put me on this path. But to answer your question, that was probably the biggest surprise of my life. Mm, <laughs> love it. There's a phrase in Chinese saying that Xuan tian ku la. Mm. It means life has different flavors, sour, bitter, uh, spicy and sweet and all the things. And if you think about another metaphor would be like a roller coaster. It's not really a roller coaster if you just keep falling down. It's not yeah. really a roller coaster if you keep going up. Yeah. So the, the joy of roller coaster is actually you know, twist left and right, up and down, side to side. I, yeah. try, I try to think about it this way, and ultimately, all, all, everything really is a blessing. The fact that whenever I fail, whenever I succeed, whenever I have conversations, it's all a win. So. It all comes back to, <clears throat> seriously, guys, for everybody listening in, every single topic has the good side or the positive side of thinking about it and the negative side. Everything. I don't care whether you're talking about a friend bitching and moaning to you about something, that has a positive side to it as well. If they can't find it, you find it, right? Because that allows you to live a more empowering life. Same thing with you. Whenever you find yourself having negative chatter around something, what's the positive side of it? When what happened with my company happened to me, a lot of people said, oh my God, I couldn't get out of bed if that happened to me. What? No, you look at that as a blessing in your life and you figure out all the lessons out of it and you bring that and those lessons to, as I did in, in, in my current endeavors, a higher purpose of bringing cybersecurity to boards, to private sectors, etc., and transforming your pain into a bigger benefit for the world, whatever that is. One of the quotes that we share a lot on this podcast a lot is, our superpowers 
come from overcoming our biggest wounds. Yeah. So from that failure that you had in Hong Kong, now all, all of a sudden you have this greater awareness and greater commitment and purpose and capability to empower others not to endure the pain that you endure of losing your company or whatever. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I would say it in even a slightly different direction, which is there mm -hmm. are no failures in life. Mm -hmm. Only lessons learned or not learned. Mm -hmm. But yeah. So I also want to get into, because in my mind, some of the biggest skills that we have been talking about is unlearning, right? Mm -hmm. Letting go of identity and attachment. So let's talk about learning because you have learned many different things very quickly, language, careers, lifestyle, everything. So can you share with us a little bit of the meta process of how you say now all of a sudden you want to get into so some random field you want to get into how would you go about cryptocurrency let's say how would you go about merging cryptocurrency into this fold of skill sets that you have very easy uh, for me for whatever reason one of the gifts that i've been blessed with is being able to pick things up very quickly and running with them and becoming not just proficient in them but I won't quite say a thought leader, but ahead in that. And it all comes from curiosity. I'm not sure that I would describe it in any other way. I'm a person that learned how to have to pull myself up by the bootstraps very early on. My, my mom emigrated to New York from Poland when I was 14. And when I came to New York seven months after her, she said, yeah, I realized that you were supposed to go back to Poland after the summer, but I bought you one-way tickets. <laughs> and so no English in Greenpoint in New York, immigrant discrimination left and right in school. All right. On top of that, you don't speak the language. And on top of that, your family doesn't speak the language. And so at the age of 14, you have to become the de facto father because you're the only person that can learn English fast enough to shepherd the family through the early stages of being in the US and finding itself in the US. And you talked about superpowers. That's how I earned my er one of my early superpowers. It's to have to learn how to adapt quickly. And so even when I went to Japan as, a, as an exchange student at the age of 18, after two years of high school Japanese in New York, I thought I was fluent. And then I got off the bullet train in Kyoto to meet my Kansai dialect speaking Japanese family to realize I don't understand a single word they're saying <laughs> I, in the middle of rice fields uh, and a, a, a dictionary that was super clean at the beginning of the experience became completely dirty by the end of the six weeks. It's those kinds of experiences, the same way I picked up Chinese by moving to Beijing without a word in, in, in Chinese, etc. So you just immersion, full immersion immediately. Same thing happened with cybersecurity. I said, I'm going to go full throttle on it. And I got myself to study under Secretary of Defense Ash Carter and Secretary of Assistant Secretary of Defense uh, Eric Rosenbach at the Harvard Kennedy School. 
and went through immersion like none other. So again, to me, it's all about immersion. You want something, you go after it full throttle and you tune out all the noise, you go it. So let me do a quick recap. Because the way you said it, it sounds similar. Oh, I just made a decision. I did it. Yes. Let me unpack what I heard. So <laughs> what, you, what I heard is you made a decision to go full commitment into cybersecurity or whatever it is that you're going after. Yeah. Then you full immersion right away, jump into the deep end and yeah. then you learn from the best teacher that you can find at the time. Always and, only from the best. Okay. And, great. You know, I used to, and still do get a lot of flack from others who have said, including at Harvard, I will never forget this. Mm -hmm. I was in one class at Harvard on leadership and I got a lot of shit, pardon my French, for supposedly not wanting to learn from everybody. I said, that's the biggest crock of poo I've ever heard. It's not that I don't want to learn from everybody. It's that everybody's got 24 hours in a day and you either learn investing from Warren Buffett or you don't, right? Mm -hmm. Whom are you going to learn from? You're going to learn from the best. Why? Because you've got 24 hours in a day and you want to be the best version of you that you can be so that you can serve others at a much higher level. So it's not that I can't or don't want to learn from everybody else, quite the opposite, but you want to serve at the highest level and therefore. Okay. So let's unpack that for a bit because we have a podcast full of overachievers hmm. like the two of us here. So share with us your meta process of finding the teacher, the right guru or master or the sensei that's worthy of your time in terms of learning, acquiring a new skill. It all depends on which area of your life you want to delve into. First, right. I figured out what's the problem I'm trying to solve. Yeah. All the resources, then all the questions that I want to answer around that problem. And then what are the resources that would get me 80-20? 80% of the results with 20% of actions. Hell, that's even the process that we follow with our VIP cybersecurity blueprint. We're not asking CEOs to become CTOs. Hell no, I don't want to become mm -hmm. a CTO, right? Mm -hmm. Why? Because the CTO is there for a reason. They fill a particular uh, purpose and on a much higher level than I ever could. But I am responsible for the culture of the organization. And therefore, I want the 20% of actions that are going to allow me to drive 80% of the culture uh, that's going to get most of the results necessary. Same thing with everything else. When I started uh, cybersecurity, I asked myself the question, what's the experience that's going to push me the farthest, fastest? When I wanted to become an entrepreneur, what's the experience, right? Diving off the deep end that's going to allow me to get uh, what I want to get out to the market fastest. At that time, it meant move yourself from New York City and a cushy investment banking job into a startup situation in Hong Kong, live in a shitty apartment for the first year and a half because you're trying to build a company. Whatever it is, you've got to strip down all the nonsense and, and drown out the cacophony and just go at it. Focus. Yeah. So one of the realizations that I had around the whole idea of 80-20, 100% agree, however, mm -hmm. From my reflecting my personal journey, I rarely find the 20% that generates 80% results looking ahead. I can look backwards and say, oh, those 20% generated 80% of results. So can you project forward 
not knowing, not getting into the situation, identify the 20% that's going to create 80% of the results? Yes and no. It depends on what problem you're solving. If mm. you're an astrophysicist trying to figure out a new planetary uh, or solar system mm. and has walked in your shoes before, you're it, right? You need to figure out your best estimate of the 20% that's going to get you 80% furthest. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, there are people that have walked in your shoes. So for example, one of the lessons that uh, I needed to learn is how do I build a scalable marketing and sales enterprise that does not require countless salespeople, countless marketers, and it doesn't require me in that process all the time. When I was CEO of my startup, I was the fundraiser, I was the chief marketer, I was the chief salesperson, and all salespeople always looked to me. That was the biggest crock of poo I've ever seen. And so you learn. But I'm also not the only exec that had that issue. And so I started looking more and more to model the ones that have really been successful in that. Similarly, when I had a spurt last year, pre-COVID clearly, when I was literally traveling 95 plus percent of the time across nine countries, three continents. I was in New York literally one day out of, out of every week on average. And so, and I needed to work out. And my assistant said, boss, I cannot find a gym that's going to allow you to have a membership for three days before you move on to the next country. And so I said, okay, wait a minute. I cannot possibly be the only exec on the road that needs to eat healthy and live healthy. So there's got to be a system. And I asked and asked until I found it. So constantly try to model somebody else that's walked in your shoes. And so pause, on, so pause on that for a moment. How do you ask that question? Do you just blast it on Facebook? Do you blast it to everyone on your ma mailing list? Do you, do you read books to trying to find answers? Tell us how you find the best teachers in the All niche. Above any tool that is available to you. I'm one of the uh, tangible benefits of having the background that I do is I have a phenomenal uh, business and political network. And so when I have questions around that, I go to my network. I've increasingly gone the book route. What's a uh, respected author on a topic that I want to ask the question about? And it literally, you're gonna be, you're gonna be fairly surprised by what I'm about to say. I've become really good at the external stuff fairly early on. In other words, I need to figure out how to make more uh, impact in the world or more money in the world or become a better salesperson, et cetera. That's fairly easy to figure out the question about and find the answers. The one that I struggled with is what's happening here? How to audit what's happening in my mindset? How to listen to it? Literally, how to even figure out what am I thinking right now? Is it serving me? Is it not serving me? How do I audit it? As if you were literally looking at your PL and balance sheet and, and cash flow statement, right? How do I look at what's happening here and audit it and say, grade it on a, on a scale of one to five, right? How am I doing there? And all of a sudden, ask yourself the question of, man, I am thinking negatively about this and this area. How can I get better at it? 
And so I literally started doing things as simple as uh, Google Abraham Hicks on topic XYZ or Tony Robbins on topic XYZ, literally in the moment. I don't care if I'm going to the bathroom. I don't care if I'm in the shower. In the shower, I've got my speaker that's waterproof, so I can put something on YouTube and listen to it in the shower. Uh, every single moment of my day is filled up by something, either by silence and meditation or by something progressful. And so I ask the question and find the answer on something as simple as YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. I, of course, limit it to uh, people that I would normally listen to. So Tony Robbins, I know, is not going to teach me bullshit. I know Abraham Hicks is not going to teach me BS. If I'm studying sales, somebody like a Gary Vaynerchuk or, or a Gary Vayn Vaynerchuk, I butcher his last name, yeah, uh, or Russell Brunson, right? Those kinds of individuals who really have gone from zero or Grant Cardone, individuals that have made centi-million uh, dollar, if not bigger companies from nothing. Those are the guys I am going to listen to. And that's actually counterintuitive to my background, right? If I pulled out my Wharton MBA on you, those guys are thought about as a sleazeballs. They didn't get to be who they are without serious work. So I'm being very pragmatic every day and every moment as much as I can. So let's actually go into what you just said. The external, the tactics, the strategy, those things are more available and easier to point to because it's external, right? You can point to a thing, right? A book or something, a seminar. And however, going inward and excavate the depth of who we are, the deep insight that's hidden within us, that's already there. The answer is already within us. And in my mind, it's one of the biggest challenges in life. And my friend and I, we actually had a conversation. He's a physicist. We talked about the nature of choice, free choice. Does it actually exist? And then we can, there's a whole rabbit hole that we can spend probably another podcast on it. But it comes down to ultimately our neural network is full of conflicting choices and conflicting interests all the time. In this moment, I'm engaged with you, Andre, but I'm also thinking about a smoothie. I'm thinking about some errands. I'm not saying it's happening right now, but if I tune my attention to, it's there, but I'm focusing on you. Wherever so, energy, wherever focus goes, energy flows. So in your journey in quote unquote, solving this problem or diving deeper into uncovering the deepest part of who you are in spite of all these layers of neurotic thoughts that you may have, what have you come across to be the most authoritative? What's your 80-20, right? What's the 20% that's going to get you to the deepest yeah. part of your inside? Yeah, great question. And there's a very succinct answer. Go I'll for it. Is the answer with one thing. This is actually quite stupid. This, however, mm. is and so the more you listen to this and your intuition and guidance, the more you're using this as a tool mm. and being used by it. Now, for me, I don't know if I shared this with you. I was in a, a relationship with a man that I love of my life. And 
I realized through numerous uh, uh, situations that really he was far ahead of me in the spiritual journey. And long story short, I broke up with him, realizing that was the stupidest thing I've ever done, and then realizing that everything happens for a reason. And that said, on the one hand, the other side of it was, I'm not sure that I ever cried as much in my entire life. So you go into that pain. You go into that pain and you excavate. And it's even more painful. And you cry even more. And you figure out why and why am I allowing somebody else to have this much hold over me? I don't care whether it's your boss at work or your shareholder or your significant other. No, nobody, right, should have that much power over you. And so you go inside. And in my case, I realized, oh my God, I was living, I was allowing the other person to dictate me rather than fully showing up in the relationship and loving the person for who they are, not wanting them to be something different. And even worse yet, allowing my self-worth to be determined by what they thought about me or, or didn't, right? And that, can, that has corollaries across business. Right, business partners, how do you choose them? Or shareholders, how do you choose them? All of that. And so you have to go deeper and deeper. And two things that, three things that really allowed me to skip generations, not just years, but generations, and probably even and centuries in some respects, mm. is first, mm. Abraham Hicks. Any specific place to start for those who are interested? Yeah. Uh, Abraham, you want me to say who Abraham Hicks is? Or? No, no, no. Any, any, what should they Google? Abraham Hicks in a book, Abraham Hicks in oh. a course. Any, any place to start? Because he you start, if you have Spotify, I would just put Abraham Hicks into Spotify and start off with the law of attraction, law of deliberate creation and Law of Intending. It's the three first chapters of an introduction into the Abraham uh, world. And that will then from there guide you on different branches. That will start really peeling off all the ego. So I promise you, CK, the moment you start listening to Abraham Hicks, all that ego bullshit is going to go aside. That's a promise if you really surrender. It's mm. really surrendering. The other thing that I went through as the second stage to Abraham Hicks is something that a dear friend um, who unfortunately passed away recently invented, which is Akasha, the game of life. Yeah. I think the URL is play Akasha or Akasha, the game of life. And it's a 30-day process of daily meditations and excavations that is specifically geared to you, right? And this is where you have to, if you don't believe in the Zodiac, tough luck. It's based on Zodiac and everything around your celestial configurations, etc. And I'll tell you, when you go through it, and if your intuition is starting to already kick in, you'll start seeing why some of those things really are true for you. I'll give you my personal example. When I started going through the Akasha game of life, 
immediately I started seeing why the messages that were being thrown at me were not only eye-opening to me around, oh my God, these messages could not possibly be coming to me if it were about somebody else because it's literally as if they were written specifically for me. By the end of that game, I learned so much about my blind sides. And that's one of the biggest lessons in life you can learn. And it gave me so many tools to, within the day, within the moment, deal with those blind sides that I immediately became a better executive, better intuitive, period, a better human interactor, right? It's all about energy and energy reading. And that entire 30-day process just exponentially challenged the shit out of me. The other one, and it's something that I've been meaning to do, and I'm starting that process as we speak, actually, is the Venus sequence, which goes way deeper than even Akasha went. And that has everything to do with your gene keys. Who are you really? And how does the external world affect that? How does it not? It literally has everything to do with, again, your blind spots, your gifts in this life, the synergies with others, and how do you unlock the potential in you by unlocking some of those blind spots and, and dealing with those blind spots. In my case, I learned, for example, uh, through both of those programs, a lot about my old self used to be, again, ego-driven, me ahead of others. How do I achieve the most in my life? Whereas I knew always since I was a child that my role in this world was in some way, shape, or form to be an empowerer of change in others and in the world. And I always shunned that because it seemed to be too much of a responsibility. It didn't you know, necessarily build my bank account. Uh, people wanted too much from me. It was energetically draining, etc. Until I started learning the tools that would allow me to unlock that potential and at the same time also allow to rebalance my energy so that energy wasn't depleting me, but rather fueling me so that I could fuel that impact even more. Yeah. What an amazing process because you're transcending exponentially from there. Those are the three things that I would say. Abraham, Akasha, and the Venus Sequence. Sequence. Got Venus Sequence so by Rudd. One of the th reasons why I'm so excited to talk to you is okay. essentially why personal development mm. and you articulated beautifully is not only empowers you to be more effective in yeah. who you are as a person, who you are as a friend, who you are as a, as a partner, who you are in business as a leader and so forth. And it also allows you tools to uncover, excavate the deep insights that you have to uncover blind spots that you didn't know about to change and elevate your consciousness. And yeah. in, in the way it's not one or the other, it's actually synergistic to do this dual track together. Is that an accurate reflection of what you said? Yes, it's an, and it's a pain in the behind to do both. If you want to live your highest expression, then 
don't shy away from taking on things that may seem to be incongruent, right? For example, in my case, cybersecurity and personal development. Like, how the heck am I going to marry those two? You're dealing with individuals in the Department of Defense that wouldn't know what sometimes personal development is if it hit them in the head because they're literally uh, so busy that they're living 24-7 on execution. And I used to think that. And then I said, wow, but what an amazing opportunity, therefore, to bring personal development into that environment to begin with. And so all of a sudden, it opened up a whole other world for me to have that level of impact. So again, if it feels congruent for you, find a way to achieve both. That's it. Yeah, trust that inner calling. So some rapid fire question. Go for it. What is your definition of purpose, Andre? There is no one single definition of purpose. It changes throughout your life. I used to think that there is one. And in some respects, I still do. In my case, it's impact. It's living for a higher calling, but there is no one particular one. Or rather, there is that guiding true North Star that you will uh, follow. In my case, it's a higher level of impact and really giving back to the world. But the chapters of that, is what I'm saying, are varied and they change throughout your life. Thank you. You got it. So having had many successes in your life, what's your definition of fulfillment? Are you feeling, are you feeling joyful every day? I'll be very honest with you, right? These days, I have the privilege of spending time on things and with people that one would think is a, is a measure of success. To me, it's not. If I'm enjoying what the result of those conversations is, and if other people's lives are better because of it, great. Otherwise, no way. <laughs> Life's too short. Yes, indeed. So next question. Having raised over $7 billion, what's your definition of wealth? Oh, my God. It's certainly not financial wealth, right? That's just a tiny component of it. And even then, I live by the definition of financial wealth the, the way that Bill Gates one, once described it. Once you've made your first million dollars, Every damn burger tastes the same. <laughs> so that's financial wealth. I subscribe to the 95% rule of Warren Buffett. I'm not at a level where I can execute that 95% myself yet, but the definition where 95% of your wealth goes towards whatever charity causes and you live off of 5%. But that's my financial litmus test. The other financial litmus test is just empowering as many entrepreneurs as I possibly can. Because if you're driving value for entrepreneurs, hell, I mean, we have a three-hour seminar that's completely free to, I don't care how wealthy you are, right? Because we're trying to bring cybersecurity to, to the corner uh, office of private and government sector at a time when a lot of people don't yet realize that's necessary. And so wealth to me, therefore, is yes, it's financial wealth, but it's impact. And most mm. importantly, it's spiritual wealth. Am I living every single day in a way that brings a smile to my face throughout the day? Like today, a woman, I was walking uh, up the stairs of the subway and I just smiled at something. And this woman randomly looked at me like, who is this crazy dude? Like, why is he smiling out of nothing? 
And again, I just got myself into a place of gratitude. And unbeknownst to me, I just had a biggest smile on my face. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. Beautiful. We also have a lot of serious noble warriors listening. What do you do to not take yourself too seriously? Yeah, it all comes down to joy. Again, I tend, okay, let's be pragmatic. I tend not to get myself around people that are too serious or negative. I'm allergic to both. Really? Uh, well, thanks for spending some time with me. I appreciate that. That, that's a, I manifested you and you manifested me. Let's put it this way. There you way. go. Thank you. Thank you. And I mean that. If I see a negative person, I'll try once, I'll try twice. The third time, I'm out. If I'm saying something and it's not reverberating with them, then I'm barking up the wrong tree. And by the way, the same goes for, with customers. I subscribe to the Tony Robbins model of customers where sometimes you've got to fire customers too. If a customer is not particularly fitting of the culture you're trying to create, a culture of impact, a culture of empowerment, a culture of whatever it is that your definition of the culture that you're trying to create and the impact you're trying to create is, then no harm, no foul, right? The world is big and, and everybody can coexist. Mm. You've got to be happy every day. You've got to, you've got to have joy at the end of the day. Probably the simplest way to describe it. Yeah, what a beautiful way to end this. Ultimately, that's one of the biggest insights that I got from my meditation, plant medicine journeys, whatever you call it, is if not for joy, then what's life for? Yeah. So, beautiful way to wrap it up. I want to acknowledge you, Andre. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. I know how busy you are and your willingness to dance with me in this conversation. We talked about a number of things. We talked about the integrated approach to have this dual track of cybersecurity and personal development. We talked about why cybersecurity is everyone's really responsibilities, especially if you're a business person. We talked about who is who should pay attention to we talked about your daily rituals we talked about abraham hicks we talked about uh, the venus uh, sequence we talked about akasha to game alive we talked about a number of things thank you just so much for sharing yourself so generously and be open in this My conversation pleasure. have yeah. fun guys the most important thing every day is that you're having fun and you're enjoying what you're doing life yes. personal life professional life whatever it is godspeed on that journey enjoy it thank you and thank you to ck you've got a phenomenal uh phenomenal source of so much knowledge so much passion so much spirit so thank you ck